0: I want to take a second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com Gear Shop. If you have any optical needs at all, give Cody a call directly at 702-847-8747. You can also send him an email at optics at GoHunt.com. You can also text him at 602-399-3699. I want to thank Go hunt for their sponsorship. Also remind you guys, we're in application season. The Go Hunt Insider is the best Western hunting resource tool out there. It's got the best draw odds and harvest statistics uh, available. You can go to gohunt.com forward slash J Scott. Just by signing up, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card. Want to thank Gohunt.com. I also want to thank kuyu. That's K-U-I-U. Uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting Kuyu.com. Uh, Kuyu is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Phonescope.com. I want to thank them. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Onxmaps.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 20% discount on all orders at xmaps And then Apex. Munition.com. Apex Ammunition, it's the home of the TSS, the Tungsten Super Shot. That is the shotgun shells that I'm going to be using on my upcoming turkey hunts. Go to ApexMunition.com to find out more. Guys, let's get back to the episode. What's up, Jay? Jim, how you doing, buddy?
1: Good, how are you?
0: Good, I'm going to merge you over with Chris and we'll just dive right into whatever questions you've got.
1: Well, I hope I got enough questions. You might have to help guide it a little
0: bit. That's all right. We've got a pile to go through, so even if you got one or two, it's fine. Perfect. Okay, hang on. Okay, Uh, Chris, uh, we've got Jim here, my buddy from Colorado. He is actually out in Texas headed to go turkey hunting, and he had some questions. Jim, what do you got?
1: Well, I'm pretty new to the turkey game, as you know. Um, My first question, I was out this morning... Just doing some scouting, and this is real elementary, but do toms yelp and cluck, or do they just gobble?
0: So, toms, yes, can yelp and and cluck and make other hen-type sounds, for sure. But more than likely, in Texas, I would think that most of what you're going to be hearing is gobblers gobbling but certainly they can cluck and they can basically make all of the sounds. It's going to uh, sound a little deeper. It's not going to sound quite as sweet. If, if you heard turkeys but didn't hear gobbling, I would venture to maybe say uh, they should be gobbling. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I would, it would not surprise me that they should
2: be gobbling. However, all, and the other thing, too, keep in mind, oftentimes if you have groups of jakes, jakes will yelp and cluck and cut. they'll they'll do all the same quote-unquote people say hen sounds but they're just the basic vocalizations like jay said that they will absolutely do all those sounds but if if you are looking at birds strutting or they're up on a limb strutting you're not hearing any gobbles but you hear a whole bunch of yelps and clucks and everything else you might be hearing those jakes
0: did you see them jim
2: yeah yeah i
1: saw hens and um toms kind of in different areas i mean i was actually i got in between them finally when i left um, my blind and i guess that was my next question is how do you know when to bail on your blind and and go after them versus you know holding tight
0: well i think the (laughs) yeah that's the that's the hundred dollar question but um, first I would ask, did you actually have them gobbling? You heard birds gobbling this morning and then you were in your blind and then you had kind of a group separate and then you didn't, you, you said, well, shoot, now what do I do? Is that kind of what happened?
1: Well, I was in my, uh, I was in the blind. I had a couple decoys in front of me and I did hear them gobbling. And then, um, I mean, that's a whole nother question I have is like, how, like, I'm used to elk hunting and giving it some time, you know, for them to come in after your last call. How long, you know, do you wait on them? And so I waited an hour without hearing much more action. But that could sound like they were gobbling further away from me. So that's when I got out of the blind and started, you know, kind of moving after them. So, that's when I finally caught up to them.
0: Yeah, so, I mean... One of the things you, you hear about is, well, make a few calls and then wait and they should come to you. And yes, I agree that that can work. But a lot of times, and I'll let Chris kind of go into this, if you're not actually kind of in a conversation with them, they're going to lose interest really fast. Now, you're you're hunting in Texas, so you're dealing with Rios, um, you know, and I would say Rios and Merriam's, they have a little bit different level of intensity or how they want to engage in a conversation, but they can lose interest very, very quickly. So I think getting out of the blind and repositioning on the birds is a lot of times a good thing, but you also, in my mind, have to kind of figure out which direction they are going and you almost want to loop all the way around them and get in front of them because it, it. I have found it's very difficult to follow birds, one, they're going to see you. Two, it's hard to have birds retrace their steps and come back to you. Typically, they're on a route somewhere. They're going to a strut zone, they're going to a feeding area, they're going to water, they're going somewhere. So just like elk, it's, it's hard to follow elk into dark timber or it's hard right. to follow elk through pinion juniper, you almost want to get out to the side of them and parallel them, figure out where they're going. And it may be a function of wherever they're going, they're going to spend quite a bit of time there. You just got to get kind of out in front of them and then work your way back into them. The hard part with turkeys, even more than elk, is their eyesight is way better. Uh, and it's very hard to move on turkeys. The ones you moved in on, did they end up seeing you?
1: Well, the uh, the hen did because I just had to basically forfeit myself to
0: her in order to get to where the the toms were. And then, did you make it to the toms, or or what happened?
1: Yeah, I made it to him, and uh, he was going in a favorable direction. And that's when I kind of—I actually thought I was going to be like in a perfect spot to cut him off. So I quickly put my decoys out there and waited on them, and it just kind of fizzled out. Like, I lost track of them, and, yeah, it just all kind of fizzled out.
0: Chris, what do you got? Well, I think the, the, the best thing you
2: yeah, – the one thing that you said there was right on the money is the birds are going to be doing something. They, they're going somewhere, and they have a loop. They, they they have a reason of where they're going. So And with Rios, it's, it's not uncommon. For them to roost in one spot slide down head start heading to a feeding spot and then go to a different spot maybe get water and then go to a different spot for their midday loafing area and then start to work their way back to the roost and so they, they have this cycle of movement on the landscape and so especially now where we're, we're st- we are still kind of in that we're and I imagine Texas being the same way. The birds are still in a kind of an early pattern, so they're going to be grouped up a little bit more. And you might end up having a lot of those gobblers that are just kind of—they they still might be multiple gobblers in a group, and they might be still locked down. Generally speaking, with a particular group of hens and not wanting to go and venture off on in crews on their own. So the question is—that your question was—is how do you know how? How do you know when you just bail on your blind and go follow them versus staying put? And I think, Jay, what you said is, is important. You need to try to figure out what their pattern is, what their loop is. If you are set up with your ground blind in that loop that they want to be in, especially if, you are, if your ground blind is in a place where they generally like to hang out and loaf for the day, and sometimes the best thing you can do is because of the pot, the potential of getting busted by being seen while you're moving or whatever, sometimes I will just absolutely stay put in that ground line. I might have two, three, five, six or more hours of just nothingness and then all of a sudden here they come because this is where they want to spend the rest of the day and now I'm, I'm literally in ground zero of where those birds want to be. However, if you're set up, is outside of that loop you go chase them because they might not be there until literally you know most states that i know of that you know in the evening if you can hunt until dark it's you know sunset well they may not fly up until after sunset so sometimes if you're outside that loop you've got no choice but to, to pick up and just go and follow them so make sure how many days have you been hunting so far down there two okay have they had a consistent pattern that you've been able to see so far?
1: Um, in the two
2: mornings,
1: yes, I've seen them in the same uh, spot, but I haven't, I haven't been able to see exactly where they're going. Okay, one time but, but, I got one time I got busted, and the second time, um, like I said, it's kind of fizzled out, and I couldn't tell where he was going.
2: There was two right, uh, golfers they...
1: working together.
2: Were they moving off in the same general direction both days?
1: Yeah, kind of heading back down towards, like, this little creek bottom.
2: Okay. Then tomorrow, then tomorrow, maybe the best bet for you this afternoon is to go over you know, where they were roosted and then go a couple hundred yards away maybe either. If you can figure out where they're flying out, that's awesome. But if you can't, go a couple hundred yards in the direction in that they were headed. You don't have to have it perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect, but as long as, like Jay said, if you can get in front of them, even if you're left or right of their actual path, but you're in that general vicinity, it's a lot easier to get them. It's a lot easier to pull them left or right so they just kind of veer off to the left and, and come into your setup than it is to pull them 180 degrees away. So if you can figure out for tomorrow morning where you want your ground line that may be your best play for this afternoon, but yeah, if if you know that you're in that loop or in that area where they seem to be spending the bulk of the middle part of the day, sometimes just sitting quiet, or I mean, you can sit and quiet, or you can just call, oh, but staying put in that blind for a few hours can pay dividends, but you've got to be in that zone. You've got to be where the turkeys want to be until we're talking later in the season when you have gobblers out cruising by themselves, but... Right now, I think you're going to really need, your best bet is to figure out what their pattern is and then get your ground blind and your setup in front of them or where they generally want to be.
0: Jim, are, yeah, yeah, are you Jim. Uh, are you going to a different property now or going back to hunt the same one?
1: No, I'm going to a different property uh, tonight and I'll hunt that tonight and tomorrow morning. That's going to be much further south. And then... Uh, so season doesn't actually open up until April 1st up in uh, Central Texas where we're staying. Okay. So that's oh. why I've been, I've been pretty much scouting the last two days trying to figure them out. and then um, So I'll be heading back there tomorrow afternoon to Central Texas, and I'm going down south today where the season's open to hunt a, a friend's ranch.
0: Okay, so yeah. one one thing I might add when you go back to that property, do you have a pretty good sense of the trees that those gobblers were roosted in?
1: No, I haven't figured that out yet. I mean, I didn't even know how to... I mean, I would, from what I read, it looks like you gotta find... If you're not actually seeing them in the tree, you gotta look for
0: their droppings. Well, did you the base, hear them? Right? Did you hear them before light this morning? Did you hear where they were gobbling? No. Or? No,
1: I didn't hear them gobbling. And, um, I was out at about 630 which is about you know a half hour before daylight and uh didn't hear him gobbling actually until it was probably
0: 7 30. is there a chance I that those birds eight. is it is there a chance that those birds are actually not um roosting on the property and they're roosting somewhere else and you heard them because then they came on the property or does the property owner no. say that they live right there?
1: It's a pretty big property. He's got 180 acres, so um, it's just a matter, I think, of where I was set up in
0: okay. the
1: morning that I didn't hear
0: him. One thing I would say, and Chris, you can weigh in, is is Jim, if you if you had a pretty good sense this morning of where those gobblers was there one? How many gobblers? Two. Okay, were they kind it was of actually two different groups, but the two
1: that I was on and the two I saw.
0: Were they just, yeah, were they kind of in the same area? In other words, do you now have an epicenter, if you will, of if you were just going to go right back where they liked to be, where you saw them, they looked content, would that be where you are going to start?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's where I would try and be set up to, you know, the next morning.
0: Okay. And is there any... Can you tell where they're watering? Is it dry down there, or is it is it wet, or what's the story? No,
1: they got a lot of choices for water. There's a couple of ponds. There's a big bottom.
0: Okay, where does you the landowner of- say that they does the landowner have any idea where the birds are actually sleeping and roosting, and where he would say I hear them at dark here, and I hear them at when the sun is coming up here.
1: No, he's not a hunter, unfortunately, but, um, I do have some trail camera pictures from the evening, so, like, there's, you know, think of a, you know, like, he's grazing cattle in there, and so he's got some good open fields, a couple pastures, and then there's a creek bottom, so I've seen him in the evening, kind of closer to the creek bottom, and there's some beautiful, big old trees in there, so I'm sure that's where they're, uh roosting is somewhere along the creek and then heading up into the field that's where i've been seeing them is kind of at the top of this one field you know by 8 a.m or so
0: chris bingo went off in my head if he's if he's got a field where he's been seeing them if it were me and you weigh in on this i would probably go set my blind and set my decoys where i think they want to go regardless of where they're roosting because that is a variable that you it's not a given cause you you've only seen them there one time, but if you've seen them there multiple times, twice. okay, yeah. twice, I would go set there and wait for them. And you know, depending on if you have pretty good decoys, what you're, you know, what you're using, I would go set up, get the ground blind where it's, if it's possible to kind of get it kind of hidden um, yep. and then go sit and just wait. What would you do, Chris?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. You need to be where they want to be, unless you are an exceptional caller, and I mean just absolute exceptional caller, and you are you want to get into a battle of calling the entire flock to you. Um, no, I I think especially given it's early, given that these they're still clocked up. Um, I it, absolutely get out where you've seen them, where you think they want to be, and just stay put and and evaluate You're... you're Scouting now is important. The biggest thing that you can do is figure out where do they want to go. How are, Where are they going? Where are you seeing them? Where are they moving? Um, yeah, you want to make sure your setup come opening day is in the path of where they want to be. Yep, love it.
0: And then Jim.
2: I and I haven't seen
1: them flocked up either. This is like I've been seeing just like ones and twos.
0: Gobblers together or, or a gobbler with yeah, the Yeah,
1: two gobblers. Like, the one group, I've seen them twice now, two mornings, two gobblers together, and then the hens I'm seeing are just singles.
0: Interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I do know Texas starts way earlier than the rest of, you know, like out here. Um, it's very possible that they're kind of already broke up, but I would be shocked that that Chris, I'm surprised that he's not seeing a wagon train, you know, of hens with, with a gobbler yep. following behind. Um, exactly. but, but I still go back to you've got to go with what you know. And if you've seen him in the same spot twice, that's where I would start. And then on the new property you're going to today, um, you know, not going to a property completely fresh, is your friend going to be able to be there and kind of show you around or are you going completely blind?
1: Nope, nope. I'm going to have a guy with me that um, they've had some good success already this year so he's got it kind of dialed in. So that's why I'm excited to do that, to kind of learn the ropes a little bit from the behavior and see how he reacts.
0: And, right. You know, so. do, now, do you have a coyote howler with you or do you have an elk diaphragm that you can make a coyote you know, howl with? with? Um, I, I just
1: have a kind of ill-prepared i have a couple diaphragm calls with me i think they sound pretty decent but
0: um, i guess my point is it. if if you trying ha- to get them to shock gobble yeah if you howl like a coyote when it's dark um you know right after they fly up when it's pretty dark or in the morning if you coyote howl you're probably going to get them to answer the one thing you have to watch is if they're too close to you Uh, Or if you're too close to them on the roost, sometimes they won't shock or they might even shock. But now you've sounded like a coyote that's under their tree and they're going to run off. But if you're, you know, a quarter, half, you know, even three quarters of a mile away, I'm constantly howling with my coyote howler to try and get them to strike so then I can hear them and move over closer to them. So when you go back to the property you were hunting this morning, I would go set up where you think they're going to be and see how that goes uh and see if you hear anything on the limb and then try and figure out where they're roosting because then you have an area of where they want to be and where they're roosting and then a lot of times you can figure out that path in between and that's where you'll want to be set up uh, maybe if you don't get them you know when you go back tomorrow you might be able to figure out okay not only do i know where they're they want to be i know where they're roosting and then you can figure out if there's a pinch point or some sort of um, you know, geographic feature that's gonna say, hey, they're gonna walk right through here, and look, here, here's tons of tracks, so they obviously walk right through this area. That might be another place that you can set up on them.
2: Right. Yeah, and if and if they're not fired up right now, and if you're not hearing a lot of gobbling, and you're not hearing, a, you may actually want to just have some patience and play the long game and just sit and listen and watch and just. I mean, there's been plenty of seasons where I've sat, myself and my friends, for our personal hunts or with clients, we've sat in the ground blind all day and you may, like I said, you may sit there for several hours with nothing, be half falling asleep and then all of a sudden you hear, you know, either a, a gobbler strutting or you hear something come up and kick your decoy and you snap awake and you look up and there's, a, there, you know, two gobblers are right there and your decoy spread beating up on your, your decoy, so... Um yeah, so if they're not fired up and they're not talking a lot, then you may want to just play the, the long game if you think you're in an area where they want to be.
1: Yeah, I think I have that to my advantage. Hey, I might lose you guys. I'm starting to lose some service.
0: All right, Jim, be safe. Keep us posted.
1: I appreciate your time.
0: All right. Yeah, good luck.
1: Thanks, man. Bye.
0: All right, Chris, you there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that was good. It sounds like he had, I thought he was hunting, but it sounds like he was scouting on one property, Um, but it'll be interesting to see with that Mm -hmm. little bit of advice, if he can get back in there and kind of get set up where he needs to be. It's always fun listening to a question from someone that hasn't done it a lot because it, it brings me back to, I still feel that same way every day that i turkey hunt you know it's almost like we start over we, we we gain as much knowledge as we can through experience and um but there's always where do i need to be where are they going i mean it still comes back to those basic questions
2: yeah exactly i mean yes can you um can you get in a battle with those hands and call them in a different direction you know i have a youtube uh video of one of our hunts out here in kansas and you know, the birds were going to fly down and head in a different direction, and I knew that, and I just just laid on the calls. And I just, you know, a couple of the comments, you've heard it, especially with ghouls. You know, you get those guys gals that hunt in Alabama or Mississippi or, you know, Pennsylvania or whatever, and they're like, golly, you guys are calling way too much and too loud if you can't call turkeys like that. Well, okay, there are times when, yeah, if the birds are going to walk away from you and they're in a big block, well, guess what? You've got to get the entire flock to either move your way or you've got to sound good enough to where you can entice at least a couple of those gobblers out to move your direction. But if you can set up where they already want to be or where, how they, you know, where they already travel, oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that is, that's your priority. Figuring out where they are going, where they want to be, and get yourself in their path.
0: And your life is a lot easier. Yeah, guys, uh, I really appreciate you guys tuning in here to the podcast. I've got, obviously, Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. You were just listening to a friend of mine, uh, Jim, from Colorado that was out in Texas. It sounds like he's in central Texas uh, doing some scouting for a season that starts here April 1st and was going to make a run actually caught him in the vehicle he had texted me while chris and i were just starting our intro said he had some turkey questions and uh i said hey let's we'll just call and record it and hopefully you guys get a little value out of that uh chris it's always great having you on the podcast it's been a while uh what's going on in your world
2: no i, I appreciate it. it i'm i'm always glad when you give me a call it's fun chatting with you so no my world brother is is uh, trying to deal with this all this new panic issue about COVID-19 and, and get ready for our turkey season. So the past month has just been, a for me, it's been a mad scramble uh, to get a bunch of our spring food plots in and established and then just get everything just lined up for our hunts that start. Well, now uh, our first group just officially asked to postpone their hunt until May. So um, so now I guess i my, my first hunt doesn't start until probably April 7th. So it gives me a little bit of breathing room to get a little bit more stuff done. But, uh, I love this time of year, man. You, you've got to be in the same boat. You're, I mean, you've got Mexico hunts coming up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're scheduled to start April 18th. um, Obviously, with this whole coronavirus uh, deal going on, uh, a bunch of my April hunts, a bunch of the guys, you know, said, what are our choices? And I said, well, you know, you can just bump them back to next year. Um, And, you know, that's what a lot of people have done in April. We're still, I've still got a few guys that want to go here in April. Uh, The border is actually open. They are saying, if you look on, you know, fox cnn you name it it's saying the border's closed Uh, i have a friend down at the customs he says it is not closed u.s citizens can come and go um you know and and every day that might change uh but right now it's open you know we're sitting here at the end of march Uh, our birds really don't really get going till that mid-april time frame and you know, we were scheduled this year, probably for our, well, not probably for our biggest season of of the amount of hunters and the amount of birds scheduled to harvest. We got a bunch of new properties. You know, and I was super excited. I uh, still am excited, but um, you know, I've had to juggle a little bit and kind of postpone things. But I'm still hoping our late May and um, all of our or excuse me, late April and early May. Uh, to the mid-May uh, mark, hunts will be able to take place. Uh, the reality is if, if, you know, things don't get better and if things escalate or, you know, even stay the same, uh, worst case scenario is we bump back and, you know, we, we postpone everything to next year. The, the heartburn for me, Chris, like I'm sure you um, although you have the opportunity, your farms and such are literally right there by your house. So, I mean, even if for whatever reason, no hunters could come, you can probably still go out here and gobble, you know, and do the whole thing. Mine's a little more yeah. complicated with the Goulds being in Mexico. And, you know, this would be my 11th season, uh, doing our hunts down there. An interesting thing to note is the White Mountain Apache here for Merriam's, uh, I, I been doing that hunt a lot with some friends um, that hunt has been completely canceled both hunts uh, the San Carlos Indian Reservation uh, canceled both of their turkey hunts as well as their spring bear hunts uh, the the National wow. Forest here in Arizona is still open but they've closed all the campgrounds so as of right now turkey hunting in Arizona which won't start till, till the kind of the end of April uh, is still quote-unquote a go. Um, but I, you know, it, it would not surprise me if the National Forest, you know, if the federal government steps in and, and potentially uh, closes uh, the National Forest. I think it would be a shame if they did that. Um, but it, it, in other words, everything is up in the air, as I'm sure you you are um, going through as well.
2: Yeah, no, and that's, that's the thing that just frustrates me. You know, I mean... I don't know if we've, I know I haven't really talked much about it officially and, and I don't know how much you've talked about it officially, but I do lean much more libertarian and more um, I'm a constitutional conservative, if, if you will. And and the thing is, is I understand that the difficult position that some of our government officials are in given this time, because let's just face it, there's a lot of stupid people out there um, that just, it just aren't, aren't practicing common sense and unfortunately a lot of those stupid people are creating the situation where some of our government government officials want to just shut everything down so yeah so we ended up with our Kansas governor um, just recently put in place uh, I think it starts Monday or Sunday night midnight or something like that anyway uh, supposedly a a stay-at-home order that you know no one's supposed to go out unless you're going grocery shopping if you're going to go to to get medicine or if you want to go out and and hike and you know go outdoors it's like okay well what the heck does that mean so people can go out and hike and, and recreate but you can't go to work i've got i've got an issue with that and i you know I, i've had some conversation with people i said you know it, it in colorado's kind of in the same boat as well i think for kansas i think our situation is i think our governor wants to be able to make it known that she's doing things to Open the door for the possibility of federal tax dollars, federal aid. Um, but it's one thing for our government officials that keep pulling a paycheck and they have a you know a nice retirement and they have their health care and everything paid for and by the taxpayer dollars. It's one thing for them to say, okay, every stay home and don't go to work. It's another thing for us private businesses and small businesses to say, okay, well, yeah, who's going to, how are we going to flow that? So, i it's going to be an interesting situation if if they tell us they want us to go you know social distance but but by all means go out and you know enjoy the nate you know go and enjoy nature oh but by the way we're also going to shut down all of the places that you can go enjoy nature i think you're going to see some people starting to revolt because i'm already starting to see here in kansas where people are like okay you know, we're being patient. We're being smart. We're we're trying to do what we can do, but um, let's not get ridiculous here. So, for us, I, I think the smart thing that's going to help, yeah, because you're in a different boat than I am, because you've got the landowner tag that you bought and and the logistics of of going to Mexico. I have that flexibility here that normally when I book my hunt, I I will book through April, but I always kind of leave May. Our season goes from April 1st and through May 31st. I always leave May as a wild card so that I have some flexibility. If people want to come and hunt in May and the birds are doing well, then great. We can come on and out and hunt. But I always kind of leave it as a buffer. I think that's going to help us greatly this year because that first group, again, they're they're from a state that has a movement order in place. Um, so they're, they just said, well, can we bump it to that, that first part of May? I'm like, absolutely. If some of our Colorado hunters that were planning on coming out, say, Hey, we can't come. Can we bump it? I've got the flexibility this year to play with it a little bit, but luckily most of these movement orders so far are such that if you're going to go out into the wild, so to speak, and, and enjoy nature, as long as you're, you know, stay six feet apart from people and, blah, 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 practice, you know, common sense, you're good to go. So I think our hunts are good to go right now. I've looked at everything, you know, Kelly and I've looked at everything. I think we still are good under the movement order to have folks come out and hunt because we've got a separate place for them to stay. They're going to drive their own vehicles. We can, you know, we can do the whole, we can play the whole social distancing thing. But I just fear that we've got some of our politicians playing, you know, making political hay with this whole thing. Um, and I I just hope that things settle down quickly and common sense starts to creep back into public policy and uh, we can just get back to our lives here sooner than later. Otherwise, it's going to get ugly out there.
0: Yeah, I think economically, um, you know, I I do not have a, I'm sorry, but I don't have a positive outlook on what's about to happen. I think this is going to be catastrophic and A lot of sense um i think you you cannot shut down businesses for this long i mean they need to really get going here in the next let's say within two weeks they need to be up and rolling if they're not i think we're going to have a lot of issues um i we're going to have a lot of issues regardless but i think you know everyone out there listening you know there's no need to panic but you definitely need to kind of start figuring out what the, you know, plan B, C, D, E is uh, in how this all rolls out. Um, You know, it's it's an unfortunate situation that we're in because quite honestly, Chris, the economy was never better. Like it's probably the best U.S. economy that we've ever had. And it's not like the fundamentals were bad. This is completely under, you know, this is completely just a crazy thing that has happened and those fundamentals probably while people are saying remain strong i think the the issue is you you basically you know i've talked to a lot of people yesterday and this morning that are big time businessmen that have literally had to lay at at times half their workforce to three quarters to all of their workforce completely off so Yes. You know, yeah. I think there was three and a half million people th- for the week that filed for unemployment. It's it's never, that that number's never happened. You know, we've never seen that. Yeah. So anyway, um, let's talk turkeys um, and hope for the best and hope that uh, we can get all of this behind us. Uh, we're going to do, we've got a whole series of question and answer here. Uh, a bunch of questions come in, so we're just going to hit them. Uh, one at a time and try and answer them as in-depth as we can and then we'll just move to the next question. So you ready Chris?
2: Let's do it brother.
0: Okay. All right. Why are gobblers hesitant to come downhill to a call? Well one of the things you know I'll have you weigh in too but one of the things that I've always thought is why they're hesitant is they have the optical advantage when usually when they're above. When they're Just think of yourself standing on a ridge and you're looking down as opposed to looking up. A lot of times when you're above and looking down a ridge line or down a hill, you have optical advantage. So that's one thing that jumps out at me. and, And I've had gobblers come uphill and I've had them come downhill. So I've heard that gobblers typically don't like to come downhill. And I'm sure that that's the case. I think it's a little bit of a wives' tale. I'm really curious what you have to say, Chris. But the one thing I could think from a turkey's perspective is they can kind of stand up high and look down and say, no, you come to me, Um, I'm in a safer spot where I can see better, and I'm not going to come down the hill. You come up to me, and I'll watch you come all the way up the whole way so that everything's safe up here. What do you think?
2: Yeah, no, you, you nailed it. I, it it's, I think it it does depend on the vegetation in your area. So if you're an open ponderosa pine forest, I can tell you, yeah, I agree. It, they they have the advantage, again, especially a goblet, especially if he's strutting. The whole point of him strutting is to draw attention to himself and, and show off for the hen. If the hen wants to breed, the hen will walk up to it. And if she doesn't want to breed and he just wants to show off for the hen, there's been there's plenty of times where you can watch hens out feeding and they might be eighty, a hundred yards away from the gobbler. He's just got himself in a strategic location where he can keep an eye on him and show off. And if he's in a higher elevation in open terrain, he's you've got it. He's got the optical advantage to sit there and show off and do his thing and let her let the hen that he's hearing or the turkeys he's hearing. I'm up to him or in the the situation of of actual live birds, if he sees those other turkeys, you know, down at the bottom or down lower elevation and they're just walking away. Well, he has the option either. He can drop down and join them or he can just parallel them up on the ridge and keep showing off now in situations. And I'm, this is from my standpoint, when I hear people talk about elevation, my mind automatically goes to Merriam's, but you same thing with you with the Goulds and everything else. Um, if you're in those areas where you're in, say, oak brush and there's, you know, thick cover covering the mountain and maybe a you know, ponderosa pine and oak brush situation, okay, that might be a little bit of a different story. You might have some birds above you, but if they can't see you and maybe you're on a, a, a little bench in the middle of the slope and you're set up there and they're above you and it's just thick oak brush where they can't look down in, then you absolutely have a good opportunity to call them down to you because you're in a, a, a logical place on the map where they where hens and turkeys might be hanging out. So I've had very much I, I've had very good success doing that. But when we were talking about open ponderosa pines, when I was hunting, say uh, the Front Range of Colorado, where it's just pine, you know, pine trees and then bare leaf litter and maybe grass, you, you've got to be on the same elevation that they are or above them on the, the crest of the ridge to have a high level of success. Otherwise, they just strut and they just gobble and they just keep doing their own thing.
0: Got the uh, next question. All things Merriam's. What triggers flock breakups in early spring when hens start nesting?
2: Spring green They're going to follow that snow line. They're going to follow the spring green up. I mean, daylight obviously is going to, the photo period is going to finally start changing the hormones. But what really starts to allow them to break up out of their winter flocks is that spring green up. Once things start, you get the snow melting, there's higher protein forage on the landscape. As that increases, there's more opportunities for hens to go different directions and have high quality food and they'll just start to break up and head in the direction of where they usually, you know, stage before they go off and nest. So typically it's that snow melt and the spring green up. Is that what you've seen down in Arizona on the White Mountain?
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, And one of the things, you know, I think we need to cover is what is spring green up and what is the snow line? I mean, what do people look for? And I would say you literally want to go where uh, you drive and the Forest Service road is blocked off and you can't go any further because there's snow drifts. And then you've found the snow line. So, I mean, it is exactly what it sounds like or find, you know, that. You're going to climb an elevation till you finally start seeing patches of snow all over. And you kind of want to be in that range where when you go and look at those snow drifts where the water is melting underneath. If you'll notice, um, there, there's actually green sprouts and stuff greening up right there on that. You know, as the snow melts, it's starting to green all around there. But that's what you're looking for especially in these states that have, you know, high elevation all the way down to transition, down to lower elevation, you, you know, turkeys will literally follow that snow line.
2: Yeah, and, and don't be afraid to leapfrog um, because you might find some, you know, patches of, of snow and some dark timber in, in, in lower elevations, but all of a sudden you get yourself back in there and you've got some south-facing slopes or southwest-facing slopes that maybe you know, they've warmed up a little bit more than what some of the thicker timber was. Don't those those birds will walk right over that those snow drifts to get to some of these bare patches. So don't I am thinking of one place in southwest Colorado where it's not it's not uncommon. So the birds will stay down low in, in the low oak brush. And then, as you start moving up the mountain, there's a band of thicker pines and thicker timber, and the snow just holds a lot longer. But if you can get past that band of snow and get started to climb up a little bit higher elevation, you start getting into the big mature ponderosa pines. Well, because they're more open, they have started to fall out a little bit better. Or because it's more open, the wind has, has kept some of those snow drips, you know, snow patches a little bit more clear to where those areas. Open up earlier so yeah you're you're looking jay you nail it you're looking for the place where that snow is melting and it's exposing bare ground the new grasses the new forbs are coming in and it's not uncommon to see tracks in and out and around the snow overdrifts in and out of the you'll see tracks in the snow all the time Um, but they are going to crowd that spring green up line hard
0: yeah, uh, the next question was cu- same same guy. Curious about mountain merriams in response to snow following snow line. I think we covered that. Uh, we've got do merriams. Uh, this is from Co Bachman underscore Bachman. Do merriams exhibit any patterns in their roosting locations? Seems entirely random where they tree up. So merriams turkeys exhibiting patterns in their roosting locations um one of the things that i've found is that typical that merriam's have kind of areas not i found where they've winter flocked and they like literally roost in the same tree all winter but it seems like in the spring they end up having kind of a pattern and a rotation where they'll hit a certain facing slope and you know it may not be the exact tree but you can every couple of days yes i'll hear a gobbler there i'll hear a gobble there a gobble there and you find these common areas that they do like to roost in they're not as much and chris i'll let you speak to this in a minute but you know the rios you know where you've got river bottom type rios and some of the stuff in kansas and texas where they're they don't have a lot of choices for roost trees so they tend to roost in those trees that they have and that's where they roost and that's where you see a lot of parts of the country they do not like you to hunt the roost areas because that's where if the birds get bumped out of there they may move over five miles because the next roost is miles away so a lot of property owners will say we're not going to hunt the roost because we we want to we want them to always come back at night on the property when it comes to merriam's i've found common places i've found birds that until they're pressured uh, they tend to roost and some will roost in the same tree Uh, but it, it, it seems like as pressure increases, they kind of bounce around and it seems as though year after year for Merriam's, I can find certain ridges and certain pockets that I'm going to say, you know, I always hear a bird there and yep, there he is gobbling, maybe a different bird, but they have certain spots that they like to roost. Chris?
2: I, I don't need to add anything about your mariams. That That's exactly it. Um, I'll even, but I'll just say with Rios, even with us out here, even though we might have a big river bottom that has numerous large, big cottonwoods in it, that all of those cottonwoods could be great roost trees, our birds will still, year in, year out, every single year, will come back and roost in the exact same trees they rios do like to have the same roost year after year merriam's you nailed it they they seem to have an area and they might be in this tree tonight and that tree tomorrow or i've even seen some on a pattern where on night one they're on this ridge night two they're across the valley on that ridge and then night three they're down the valley on that ridge and then you know, day four, here they are back at night one roost spot. They, they just kind of, they move around an area. But yeah, I mean, most of the time, you're going to find regions that they tip or areas that they typically roost in for Merriam's, whereas Rio's, you'll find a tree.
0: One thing I'd like to add, too, is in talking about, you know, we can talk about roosting turkeys, but just something that came into my mind is especially guys hunting, you know, big tracks of public ground for Merriam's, whether it be in Arizona or New Mexico or Colorado or Utah or Montana, whatever it might be, um, in Wyoming, keep in mind that it's, so I've, I've, found where birds roosted let's say i made a play on them in the morning and they went the other way and i tried to you know kind of keep tabs on them and then they just shut up and i never heard them again and then i'm like well i don't have anything else going so you know there was four gobblers here this morning i'm gonna set up somewhere close to where they were roosted this morning and hope that i can catch them coming back to the roost one of the things that I, I would that just came to my mind that I'd like to point out, and I've seen it so many times, is you're sitting there and you're like, man, you're looking at your watch, you don't hear anything, and you're like, man, they should be, you know, like, where are they? I've seen it so many times where literally right at last light, here they come and they're on a beeline. You, yep. don't, you don't even hear them. And then all of a sudden you just catch them and they're running or trotting, you know, just just clicking along and they go right by you, go right up the ridge and then fly straight across horizontal into the tree. And you're like, they, I, I wasn't red like they, I sat here for three hours and then they just ran by me. Yeah. I've had the same yes. scenario where you're sitting there and you're like, nah, they're not coming. I should go somewhere else. More times than not, if they're if you did not booger them in the morning, they didn't see you. You didn't call too much, where they're like, "I'm shutting up." You know, you'll know when it's like, "We're out of here." But if it's like, "No," they gobbled the whole way and they left and they're just gone. I would literally wait there till dark, till you can't see, because I cannot tell you how many times that I've been sitting, and I like to get there like two, three hours before you know, maybe set some decoys out and get all set up and you sit there and sit there and sit there and you periodically call and nothing. I mean, nothing. And then, you you know, you sit there and you literally are about to get up and you think, I'll just try one more call on my box. And you go, and just, I mean, boom, right there. And it's like, and then here comes the hens and there they are. And boom, you've got your successful roost, you know, basically set up And the bird comes right in and you kill them. My point with all of that is you have to be patient when you're trying to predict where they're going to roost and where you're going to set up and waiting on them. But once you commit to waiting on them, you have to commit. You cannot leave 30 minutes early because the best time is usually 15 minutes before fly up. Because they don't tend to linger a lot right around where they roost, is what I've found. They tend to be somewhere, they linger, and then they make a mad dash for the roost, especially with Miriam's. Chris, what's your impression on that?
2: Exactly. And the same thing, I've seen numerous times for our Rios, and I'm laughing while you're talking about that, because I can literally, there is one property that has a habitual roost site, and they do exactly what you say, Every single time, it's one of our spots that I will set up on limited occasions. If we're down to the last day or two of, of a uh, last day of a hunt, or we're towards the end of season and it's getting t- difficult, uh, I will hunt this roost spot. But understanding that, okay, you bust a bird out of there, then I'm just gonna I'll, I'll take one bird off the roost there, and then I won't come back to that property. But no, that see, out in Kansas, are in a lot of western states. Um, turkey, the the daily shooting light is one half hour before sunrise until sunset. Well, I've literally seen where birds are doing exactly what you're saying, Jay. They are out in the field milling around. He's out there gobbling. They're strutting. The hens are finally starting to come back in, and they're out there two, three, four, five hundred yards way out in the middle of nowhere. Linger, linger, linger. Sun, you know, here here we go, sun. It's it's getting close. It's getting close to sunset. It's getting close, and then all of a sudden, here they come. They just single file. He's out there strutting, going nuts. But here come those hens. And they just march right in and go right up to the tree. And I'm literally watching my watch, going, "Okay, we've got one minute left of shooting light. Is he going to be in range? Otherwise, they're they're flying up after it, flying up way too late. So right. You're absolutely right. If you're going to do an evening setup, you need to be set there and then you nailed it. Don't move. Because the other flip side of that, too, is if we're talking about later in the season and the hens start going off and, and nesting, you will have gobblers that will come back to the roost early in hopes to catch those last hens and try to get that. sometimes those gobblers will get back to the roost a little early and they'll start gobbling just to let everybody know hey i'm over here let's go let's go let's let's get assembled back up where are you the hens might be off on nest now but he's getting a little desperate because he's not seeing his ladies every morning so he comes back to the roost a little bit early so yeah if you're going to set in the evening you in know a, in, a, in and around a roost site you need to you need to just sit there and wait don't don't try to run and gun I don't. Anyway, I, I I don't. I agree with you, brother. Just sit there and wait, and just take it all the way to the last ounce of legal shooting light.
0: You know, my friend Daniel Franco of Burnt Timber Outfitters up in Unit Three C. He always just laughs and just shakes his head because for years I would go up and hunt Three C for turkeys here in Arizona, and he's like, "How do you always kill birds in the evening?" And he goes, I'm, "You know, I." I need to see what you're doing. And I'm like, well, the reason that I'm, and it's, Dar even laughs. He's like Jay kills birds in the evening like no other. And I think I'm, I kill more birds in the evening than I do the morning. One of the things I will say is there are times when I have a really good roost situation where there's multiple gobblers, there's a lot of action and, and they're hot and they're in a spot where I know that they love to roost. There's times where opening morning or that morning that I'm hunting, if I'm not in exactly the perfect situation, I'll just shut up and let them go. I don't want to disturb them because I know I can come and get in a good position and I know I can kill them in the evening. If, if And then I'll literally let them go. I won't even make a play on them and I'll pick up and I'll go to a whole nother spot and try and do my run and gun, mid-morning run and gun, and then three o'clock I'll be right back where I need to be because I feel like you know that afternoon when they're coming back to the roost you can catch them and a lot I've had so much success killing birds that I've heard in the morning and basically went and set up and waited for them to come back that I will literally not make a play or even call I might call a little bit but if I can tell it's not going to happen I just shut up I let the whole flock go off and I just make my plan for the afternoon and that's that's how I've been successful. I mean I've done that in New Mexico. I've done that in Arizona um, on on Merriam's and you know certainly we do it on Gould's but uh, you know you have to have a level of patience to not just hammer them where they're going to be like yeah that was a little too much funkiness you know it's, you know they know that you know they know when something's not right, and they'll be like, well, And then all of a sudden, you go and sit in the afternoon, and they roost on the next ridge over, and you're like, "Well, crap! I put too much pressure on them this morning, and I pushed them out of here." So that's that's just uh, something. We'll go to the next question here.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, you're you nail it. You're absolutely right. Uh, I've
0: got a question ever worry about scent control while turkey hunting uh chris you're a biologist you can answer this better but turkeys don't have a sense of smell like an elk does like a deer like a bear you know like a dog like a cat they don't have that sense of smell i i believe they do have some sort of sense of smell but not in the notion of like smell and they're using that as a defense mechanism i've heard is it the Olfactory senses that they actually do have them, but it's not in the sense that that we know smell. Chris,
2: yeah, correct. I mean that if the old added you know the old joke is if if turkeys had a sense of smell, we'd never kill one. Um, yeah, you don't have to worry about scent control for turkeys. Uh, the only time that I've you know considered or heard people talk about scent control when you're turkey hunting is. If you're in an area that and you want to set up in a say a food plot or a particular pasture or whatever that there's a bunch of whitetails that are also coming out there that that want to feed out in that spot while the turkeys are out there sometimes I've heard people saying, yeah we had to go with scent control just to try to help keep the white tails from not blowing everything else out but ninety nine point nine percent of the time you don't need to worry about it I mean have to you know for our clients out here, we're spraying down a lot of, you know, you're spraying your pant legs off with, you know, deep woods off and stuff just to keep the mosquitoes and the sticks and everything off. So, no, you you don't need to worry about it.